award-winning investigative reporter and broadcast journalist, Angela Kennecke, has spent three decades keeping people informed on the evening news. Her investigative reports have resulted in changes to laws. She was named a 2021 inductee to the South Dakota Hall of Fame. In recent years, many of Angela's stories focused on the growing opiate crisis. On the day her 21-year-old daughter Emily died of an overdose, Angela was working on a story on Good Samaritan laws and overdose deaths. Emily died of fentanyl poisoning. Angela has taken Emily's story nationwide and even internationally. Angela speaks tirelessly about the issues surrounding opiate addiction, a parent's frustration, and sense of hopelessness, and tells it all from the perspective of a mother who has lost her child. Angela started a charity called Emily's Hope because she never gave up hope on her daughter and now wants to offer hope to other families struggling with addiction. Angela believes when tragedy and setbacks strike, the only thing you have control over is your response. Angela's response to the loss of her beautiful and beloved daughter is to turn heartbreak into action by erasing the stigma surrounding addiction and advocate for more funding, better treatment, and more research and understanding of the disease claiming so many lives. Thank you for listening to the Oracle of Light podcast. I am your host, Shauna DeMellon, and today I have a very special guest. Angela Kennecke is here to share everything from her world. And what really, really drew me to Angela is the work that she does with her foundation. So I am so, so very excited to have you here today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, this is just so fantastic. So can you can you give our, our listeners a little bit of insight as to who you are and then of course the work that you do and everything that that is such an important part of your world? Sure. So I've been in the news business. I'm an anchor and investigative reporter and I've been in the TV news business for 35 years, so a long time. And so I've always been in the public eye throughout my entire adult career. And on May 16th of 2018, I lost my oldest child, Emily, at the age of 21 to fentanyl poisoning. And it just, of course, rocked my world. Uh, Nobody should ever have to lose a child, especially in this way. I mean, I know so many parents who've lost children now, of course, but it's just such a sudden and horrible way to lose a child, unnecessary. And I knew that after that happened, I took a few months off work because I couldn't hardly function, let alone go on television again. Mm -hmm. And after I took that time off, I knew I had to go back to work. I had, I had three other kids and they needed to go to college and I needed health insurance. And, and this is what I did. You know, this is what I knew how to do. So I thought the only choice I really had, of course I had a choice, but I felt the only good choice or strong choice was to tell Emily's story. And it actually went national and even international, which really surprised me because even a few years ago, this is four years ago in 2018, overdose deaths were on the rise. I think at the time it was like 72,000 people a year. But I think part of the reason why 
my story and Emily's story got so much attention. Now we're at 107, 100, almost 108,000 people dying in the US of overdose every year. But I think the reason my story got so much attention was because I'm in the public eye, I'm on television, and Emily was so beautiful and so talented. And this kind of thing isn't supposed to happen to kids like her, although we know it happens to all people in all walks of life. I think that's, I often ask myself, why did it get so much attention? But that attention um, resulted in me forming the nonprofit Emily's Hope. And we're doing a lot of work. And Emily's Hope has really helped me channel my grief. It's given me a place to put my grief. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is just so, so beautiful. Now, you had spent 10 years reporting on the opiate crisis even before this Mm -hmm. had happened. And so it just, that I found was so interesting that you had just delved right into all of that. Well, it's an important issue. I think most journalists have been covering it in one way or the other. What was ironic, I think, is that I was actually doing a story on Good Samaritan laws and overdose on the day my daughter died, knowing full well that something was wrong with my kid. I thought she was using marijuana and Xanax. I never would have thought that she was using heroin, which is what she was doing. Right. And we were in the process of working on intervention. And I knew that when I was working on this story, but I just, I didn't connect like this could happen to my child. I just thought I have a kid with something's going on, something's wrong, and we're going to get her help. That's where my mind was on that day. And also when I went back to work three months later, we did an opioid special and I put that story together that I was working on on that day. It was really weird to go back and re-listen to those interviews and see myself because I was, I I'm a completely different person. I mean, that changed me mm-hmm. so much. Uh, and I just thought, and and I, I kind of, some of it, I kind of grieve the person I was too, because I was naive on how wrong things can go in your life, how greatly loss can affect you. I just didn't know. And, you know, I'm grateful. Many people don't have to know that, but going back and looking at myself, my, that version of myself and three months ago doing these interviews, it was just weird, but the story got done and it, and it still aired. Oh, I love that. It's so true. I love what you said. You know, you're not the same person. You know, I, I often say that to people, you know, they, they would say, you know, after, of course, after I lost my son, Jack, it was, oh, you could just, you would have another baby and you could try again and you could adopt and you could do this and you could do that. And, and it's interesting because I also look at, you know, work that I did before Jack and it's, I, I, I recognize her, but I, I definitely know that 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 isn't the version of me now. And it's it it changes people. And how can you explain a little bit about your your perception of the dance between grief and joy? Uh, yeah. So that's a blog title that I wrote, and you can find that on uh, Foundation. All my blogs, I. I try, I write those blogs for the sole fact that I want other parents to know they're not alone. And it's a way for me to, it's also therapeutic for me. I'm a writer and for me to get out my emotions and my thoughts and what I'm experiencing and going through is very therapeutic for me. The dance between grief and joy. So what you think, I think the first few months after you lose a child is I will never feel joy again. There will never be any joy in my life. There's no, nothing good to look forward to. Everything just seems black and gray and, difficult. Mm -hmm. During those early, early weeks, I did try to remind myself when I felt like I was like drowning in those um, emotions, Mm -hmm. 
I try to remind, look around, be grateful for something like, oh, I'm grateful. I in this room, I have this room and I'm in this house or something, you know, just minor. And that did help me. But as I, as I progressed through grief, I found that I was experiencing joy again. Like I could laugh again, but then, you know, on a dime, it could turn, I could have a memory or something could trigger a wave of grief. And so you're just trying to balance, you know, finding that joy again in your life with the grief that you will always carry with you as a parent who's lost a child. We know that does, doesn't go away. It can, maybe the severity of the pain lessens a little, mm-hmm. but it will always be there. And just this morning I was driving to work and I, I thought about Emily and I thought, I miss you. I said, to, I said, I miss you, Emily. I really miss you, you know? And then I just moved on. But I, I think that we have to, when those feelings of grief come over us, we have to go through them. We can't push them aside. But at the same time, we have to allow ourselves to feel joy again. We're still alive. We're yeah. still here for yeah. a purpose. And there are many people who think they're somehow betraying their dead child by feeling joy again, by laughing, by you know enjoying life or enjoying their other loved ones and friends who are still in their lives. And And I think- we are betraying our dead child by not enjoying those things. Because I can tell you, if I died, I wouldn't want my child to stop living and just live in grief. Mm-hmm. And I know the opposite is true. Exactly. And I love that. You know, it's interesting. There are, um, you know, the women that I've worked with over the years, I've had so many women say, well, you know, we wanted to have another child, but we we didn't think that that our child that we lost would would be okay with that. And, and there's this, this, there's grief, and there's so many different emotions and so many different things that that go along with losing a child. I mean, there's no guidebook for that. There's no, you know, I mean, I've lost other loved ones, but losing a child is just something completely different. And you're right. I mean, they are, uh, from my perspective, it's like they become our, our greatest cheerleaders on the other side. They're like, yes, live your life, live it fully, live it full of love. Don't have any regrets. You know, and it's just, it's just such a beautiful expression for us to be able to honor the grief, as you said, when it comes up, but it's true. You know, it's, it's always sort of there. I was at a, I was at a function um, about a month ago and there was a little boy that ran by and, you know, Jack would have been nine this year. So this little boy ran by and I just froze. I just looked at his face and it was just, oh my gosh. And so, yeah, it's still, it can still bubble up from time to time. And um, I just, I love it because it's so important. Go. Mm -hmm. That reminds me, I wrote um, what your experience about seeing that little boy. I wrote another blog called crying at Costco because Mm -hmm. I was in Costco and there was this young woman who wore hair in a bun, just like Emily would do. And was about, would have been about her age and dressed like her and kind of had man look like her, walk like her was with her parents shopping. And I just thought I'll never have that. And that could have been, that could be me with my daughter. Yep. And I just broke down in tears in Costco. So mm-hmm. yeah. And I wasn't expecting to cry in Costco. You I, know? <laughs> I wasn't expecting, but I was like, oh my God, that reminds me of Emily. Yeah, And that happens. It does. It does. It happens, you know, and I've often, I've often joked that, you know, the first few years after I lost Jack, that I didn't wear a mascara because I never knew when it was going to hit Mm. and I didn't want to have the ugly, the ugly raccoon face going on and just didn't know. And, and then it got to the point where I didn't really care. It was just, it just, it happened. And like you said, you go through it. It's not something that you can take and just sort of put on a shelf. It's not something that, you know, I mean, and people deal with it differently. I mean, there are people that, um, you know, use food to help. They use alcohol to help. They use different things to help. That's what I was going to talk about. So I'm a researcher and I try to look for answers to problems, right? So what was I going to do with this problem of how I felt uh, this horrible grief and this loss? And I soon came to realize 
there is no antidote or solution for grief. There's no pill you can take, no drink you can drink, nothing you could eat, nothing to mask or make you feel better. Maybe like for a moment, like for a second. Yeah. But if you drink too much, you know, that's a depressant, you're going to start crying anyway. So mm-hmm. I, I think, but I think many people do try to turn just to cope because these feelings are so overwhelming. And what I realized is there is no antidote. There is no solution for grief. The only thing you can do is to be in it and to feel those emotions and to walk through it until you get to the other side. But a little piece of that, my heart is still broken. You know, it's not like it's ever, it's not like it's ever going to heal. Um, you just learn to live with that broken heart. You learn to live with that grief. It's just like that extra backpack you have on. Mm-hmm. I love that the extra backpack you have on. I love 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 that. Now, can you can you share a little bit more about your girl about Emily? Can you? Yeah. We'd love to hear about her. So, as I said, Emily was my first child. I have four, and she was just. You know, I was just so in love with my child when she was born, all my children, but this is the first time of being a mom. And I felt like I knew what my purpose was when she was born. Oh, I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve her. That's why I'm here. You know, and I was um, 30 years old when I had her and she was just so much fun. I wanted to give her the world and she wanted to do and experience everything. Sometimes I think it was almost like her soul knew she wouldn't be here for a long time. Because that kid got to do so much stuff. She was in every camp and every activity. And she ended up being very athletic, uh, being a gymnast and did hurdles in track. And she was an incredible artist. Just She left me with 29 paintings and several pieces of pottery that I treasure and we use in our nonprofit for art shows and things like that. And we focus a lot of what we do. We use her art incorporated in a lot of things that we do at Emily's Hope. And I just thought I had this amazing kid and I just thought she was going to, her life was just on this track to have this amazing life. And she got sidetracked in high school and was sidetracked, uh, had dropped one group of friends for a boyfriend and drugs were involved and went down that path where I just could see that it was only going to lead to pain. And I tried everything. It was my first child. Like, I didn't know what to do. I went to counselor after counselor. I took her to counselor after counselor. I tried invoking the law. I tried all kinds of things while she was still a juvenile, you know, to redirect her course. Um, But she really did start down this path at about the age of 16. And I believe really suffered from a severe addiction by the time she died at 21. Mm -hmm. We had, you know, bad times and good times or times, but she had really, um, she resented me a lot in high school. She was very rebellious, but she had really come back to me as an adult. You know, she came to my house for lunch. She came home for holidays and, but I could just see that something, something was really wrong. And we were, you know, trying to do what we could to save her, but it, so many gifts, you know, intellectually gifted, artistically gifted, beautiful, just like someone like that should not die from fentanyl poisoning, Mm -hmm. but she did. And they do every day. Mm-hmm. Such a beautiful girl, such a beautiful girl. And now Emily's hope, you have so many different events and so many beautiful, wonderful gifts that you give people. I just, I, I'm always sending people to, to the website and to connect. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's just, you know what? And it's, I find that people just feel so lost 
And there's such there's such stigma around um, having lost a child due to, you know, an overdose. And there's just there's so much that goes with that. And so your foundation is absolutely incredible. Can you share a little bit about your foundation? You bet. I am trying to change that stigma. You know, that is one of the main goals that I have. I want people to see addiction as a disease of the brain, mm-hmm. it's like diabetes is a disease and heart disease, you know, is a disease. And I just want people to understand you don't have to be embarrassed. Uh, also, so many families now are losing kids who aren't necessarily, or younger people who aren't necessarily addicted, but they just try a pill for the first time and it's laced with fentanyl. That's very common. So it doesn't always involve addiction, but either way, it's like, you took that, you chose to take that, you deserve to die is kind of like the attitude you get from some people in society. And I'm really working hard to change that and to let parents know they're not alone. I mean, I I mentioned the blog. I also have my podcast, Grieving Out Loud, which I just really want other parents to know. There's so many of us out there now. You are not alone here's what I'm learning. Here's what I'm learning from all these other people about addiction and grief and overdose. Mm-hmm. And we have lots of moms that come on the podcast and talk and dads that talk about their loss and just trying to really let change this thinking around this. And then at the same time, also prevent it and get people into treatment who are suffering from substance use disorder. That is amazing. It is just absolutely amazing. Um, there were there were a few moms that I'd worked with a few, well, I'd say about three or four months ago, and um, they just said, you know, we just we feel so lost, and it's like it's like people just don't know what to say. You know, when you lose a child, they don't know what to say. When you lose a child to an overdose, they really don't know what to say. And so I just love that you you create this safe space for people to come in, and and it, it's not a club that anyone would want to be a member of or or even dream that that was possible. But it's just it's such a beautiful beautiful expression and just such a such a sacred space. I love the story. Um, if you would share uh, the story about uh, one of Emily's teachers who found her artwork. Um, there was, yeah. yeah, I love that too. Mm-hmm. Oh, this just touches my heart so much. And I, I, I did a talk and maybe you'll want to talk about that too, but how love showed up. Yes. And uh, right after Emily died, I felt completely lost and abandoned by God. And I just, cause death felt like nothing. And it just like, I didn't see, I was with my daughter right after she died. I got to where she was. And there was no angel, you know, floating around. There was no sense of peace. There was no, none of that. But what I realized as time progressed, and even right away, I started realizing this, was that love and support kept showing up through other people. So despite the stigma, despite the people out there who want to avoid you because of this or want to say mean things or place judgment, place judgment, that's really what it is. There are so many people that are compassionate and, and wanted to join me in my mission even people who had nothing to do with overdose or addiction have joined me in this mission just because they knew me or they knew my family or they knew her. But what happened in this case was her art teacher, he like taught for 40 years. He just retired recently and he was her high school art teacher. And she won the state competition for art in our state her senior year. And there was an article in the school newspaper where they interviewed him about her and her talent. And he said, Well, an art teacher is lucky if they get three or four students during their entire career with this kind of talent that Emily has. And I just, those words I treasure so much now, but shortly after she died, he messaged messaged me and said that he had a piece of her work that he'd like to give me. And so I went over to the school where he still was because he hadn't retired yet right after she died. 
And he handed me a piece of a canvas painting that she did that she'd thrown away and he'd taken it out of the trash. Well, fast forward to a year or two later, uh, the school asked me to come speak to their students to tell Emily's story. And I did. And it was, it's a private school. I think a lot of times people think they're, you know, insulating their kids from this kind of thing by sending them to private school or, you know, whatever it might be. But I think they just want the kids to hear this can happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. This happened to one of these students. And he came on cha- stage and presented me with another painting, charcoal, I think it's charcoal oh. and paint that she did, that ha- she had thrown away, that he had still held on to and hadn't given to me yet. I don't, but oh, I don't know, what? maybe he has more pieces. So they were just things that he, she was unhappy with that she didn't like. And when I look at them, I can kind of see why maybe she didn't quite like, maybe there's a little something a little off about, you know, but it's just, I'm so grateful to have those. And I'm so grateful that he loved her so much to save those pieces. You know, he didn't have to do that. I don't, you know, that was just so amazing. Oh, that is so amazing. I, that is just so beautiful just to have, have more of those pieces of her and her yes. expression and just, you know, artistically, I mean, that, that was her soul's expression. One of, one of her greatest gifts. She lives on through her art is how I feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. So to have those pieces is so special that, you know, from, from a medium's perspective, I mean, that is, that is spirit working through someone, you know, working through an earth angel to, you know, make sure that those stayed alive and that that beautiful expression was still there. I love that. That is so beautiful. And now, yes, how love showed up. I loved that. When I read that on your website, I was looking at your blog, I was, I was skulking you. I thought, oh my gosh, that is so beautiful. Let's talk about that. Well, as I said, I, I was really devastated and I felt as if God had abandoned me. I really had a crisis of faith mm-hmm. and uh, my whole belief system, I think, was shaken. You know, I always think we're told, well, you do A, B, and C and you're going to get D. You know, raise a child up the way they should go and, you know, it's, everything's going to be fine. And I felt like I had followed all these rules and done all these things that religion asks of us. And I really struggled because I I just thought, I don't know what happens after we die. I have no idea. And I felt alone. But then all these people started, that's how I felt so bad for people during the pandemic too, during the height of COVID who couldn't have funerals, who couldn't get that kind of community support because there were hundreds of people at Emily's funeral. And not all of them even knew Emily, but they knew me, or maybe they knew her when she was little. And they showed up to support. There were people in and out of my house. And, you know, people during the pandemic didn't get that. But it started really with that and then continued with Emily's hope and all the people that have come alongside me. Um, we've got a guy who's organizing our poker run for the fourth year in a row, one of our events, Poker Run and Car Show. And um, just the people that come and help me with the art show and the people that, donate to Emily's hope. And that's how love keeps showing up. It keeps showing up in the people that have come beside me. And and like that art teacher, I mean, that's love, you know, giving me those paintings. And I do think that if we stay open-hearted, love will continue to show up. I think it's when we let a horrible tragedy close us off to the world Mm -hmm. and close our hearts Mm -hmm. that we feel more isolation and more loneliness. I love that. That is so true. There was a there was a mother that I, I met years ago, and she was just in such a just depressed state, and and just you know every day it was just perpetual suffering, and um, you know I had the opportunity to have a conversation with her, and she said, "I won't find joy in my life until I'm reunited with my son." 
And that just, just blew me away. I just, I felt so, so much pain for her to be in that state. And that's a choice. You know, our response is always a choice. That's what I say. Like how you respond to the worst thing that can happen to you is very important. Mm -hmm. And for me, I had to do something with that pain and with that grief. And I had to try to make a difference and change the world. That's, that's sort of how I am. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm an investigative reporter. So I really want to change the world. I want to make it a better place. I want to, you know, show people things or inform people of things that I feel like they need to know. And, and maybe that was a natural fit for my personality, but I really believe we're all going to get thrown into the pit. Mm -hmm. And I say this a lot when I speak, we all get thrown into a pit. Your pit may look different than mine, you know? It may be deeper or, but we have a choice whether we're going to splatter on the bottom of that pit or bounce back up. There's splatter and bouncers and you have a choice and you can make that choice to splatter on the bottom and not live again, you know, and give up. Mm -hmm. And I think for some people, it's really hard to make a different choice. And I can't, not judging those people because I can't get inside someone else's skin or inside someone else's life. But I do think we our only choice in whatever life hands us good and bad is our response. Absolutely. I love that. I often tell people, you, you know, suffering is a choice, not, mm-hmm. not downplaying the tragedies, not downplaying the losses, no. you know, suffering yeah. is a choice and, and we do have to grieve and we mourn and we work through it. And like we talked about earlier, there's the joy and there's the grief and they sort of go hand in hand. And, and it really is a choice to, you know, continue to create something from everything that's happened. And I often ask people, what is the legacy? What is your child's legacy that you would like to leave? What does that look like? What does that, what does that mean? You know, is that a foundation? Is that writing a book? Is that a blog post? Is that a, is that a podcast? How would you like your child's essence to live on in this reality? And so I find that is just so important. I just spoke to a group of bereaved parents and one of the titles of one of my talks was creating a legacy in your child's name. And it's not, I talked about the nonprofit and how I formed the nonprofit and we use her art. And of course that is her legacy. I'm trying to take a meaningless death. It was meaningless, senseless, senseless, right. And create some sense and some meaning out of it. There's no reason it had to happen. Um, Dealers are lacing everything with fentanyl and they're killing people. And it's not, nobody's stopping it. At least at this point, there's not being much done to stop it. Um, so it doesn't make any sense. It's so I'm trying to create meaning. But when I spoke to these parents, I also said, you don't have to create a nonprofit. I mean, there's so many things you can do. You can set up a scholarship in their name. You can create acts of kindness in their name. You can grow. I have a friend who lost a son and he loved hot peppers. They grow hot peppers in the garden in his name. It doesn't have to like, not everybody should or can form a nonprofit, but there are lots of little things you can do that keep your child's spirit and their legacy alive. I love that. That is so, so beautiful. And can you share with us how you learned how to embrace the mess? That was another blog post. I <laughs> <read>. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's life is messy and we're all on social media trying to say we're perfect mm-hmm. and our lives are great. Right. Yep. And we try to de- deny that's one face we put out there. Right. We try to deny but we all have messes in our lives. And I think we just have to be okay with it and we have to accept it. I think acceptance is the biggest thing that we need to do um, with whatever the circumstances. And we can't do anything about many circumstances in our lives. The ones we can change that we need to change, we should, but the rest of them, 
we just have to accept them and embrace them. And this is the messy part of my life. I have a daughter who used heroin and who died of fentanyl poisoning. That's pretty darn messy. And I can't escape that fact. And so I embrace it. I embrace it and try to do something so that it doesn't happen to other parents. Absolutely. That is so beautiful. I love that. Now you have a book. Tell us about the book that you've written. Yeah. Well, my book is actually on, um, it's a biography on a guy I met while working on a story. And I'm actually working right now on a book about Emily and, and, and my journey through grief here. And so I hope to have that out within the next couple of years because I'm I, that's part of the reason why I write the blog to keep myself focused. I'm so busy. I work full time and run a charity. But the book that I have out right now is called The Day His Heart Stopped Crying. And Emily actually did the watercolor painting on the cover of it. So it was a collaboration for us to work together in 2017, a year before she died. And ironically, and maybe there's, I mean, I think as a medium, you would say there's no coincidences in life, but this story is about a man who really sunk to the depths of despair, was an alcoholic, was homeless, and found that unconditional, unexplainable peace, um, found redemption, and created a whole new life for himself. Mm-hmm. So it's a very inspiring sp- story. And, and his name is Steve Fry. And as a journalist, writing a biography was a really natural fit for me. But now he donates all the proceeds of that book to our charity, Emily's Hope, because that's the kind of guy he is. He goes and he speaks to churches all over the country and um, sells the book. And then he gives the proceeds back to Emily's Hope. And we sell it on our website too. But if you want to check it out and take a look at it, but it's it's a pretty cool story. And I love it that Emily did the cover. Oh, that is so beautiful. Thank you. And your book. So we can we can look forward to that in, in the next couple of years. In the future. <laughs> in the future. In the future. I don't have an exact deadline. In fact, I'm going to be working on a couple of different books. But yes, um, that's one thing I really need to do. But running a nonprofit and working full time and having a family has limited my time. But that's one of the reasons why I consistently try to make sure I put out blog posts is that I continue to write and continue to kind of um, chronicle my journey here. Absolutely. That is so beautiful. Now, can you tell tell all of our listeners where they can find you? Can you give us your, your website and, and the podcast, all that good information? Sure. Well, the podcast is called Grieving Out Loud. And we do discuss grief, but we also discuss addiction and fentanyl and all of the things that go along with that. And that's anywhere you get your podcast. It can also be found on our website, emilyshope.foundation. That's where you can find my blogs. I'm all over social media. So you can find me if you look Angela Kennedy. I'm on Instagram and Twitter and uh, Emily's Hope is new on TikTok. We don't have really many followers. So if anyone wants to follow us on TikTok, we're trying to grow that. But Emily's Hope is on Facebook and Twitter and all the social media, Instagram, all the social media channels as well. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for sharing your beautiful girl with us. And we are just so excited to to hopefully make a difference. Hopefully somewhere, somehow that this, this can start to make a difference and we can begin to save as many lives as possible. Yeah. And thank you so much for being on my podcast earlier. So uh, you're right there and you can share that too with the podcast you were on grieving out loud. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you.